In episode 52 of MobiCast, we discuss a real-world example of using event-driven techniques to add a new feature to an existing application. Welcome to MobiCast, a weekly conversation about cloud-native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobiCast. Hey, John. Good to be back. Good to have you. And and sadly, missing Rich. I will admit that we're missing Rich because we were supposed to record this earlier today when he was available. But here in our local ski mountains, we got about almost 20 inches of snow last night. And we had to postpone MobyCast for yours truly to get a little skiing done. It was mandatory. Opportunity calls. Yes, it does. That's why I live here. So yeah, what have you been up to this week, Chris? You know, you may have got 20 inches of snow, but you're up in the the mountains of of Colorado, right? That's supposed to happen. We got more snow here in Seattle, so we we got another inch of snow yesterday. Which, fine, it's not like the <laughs> the the foot and a half that we got a few weeks back, but still, come on, it's March. <laughs> it's March. It's March in Seattle, right? And for us to get just like just stop, like I'm right. ready for spring. Yeah, so, you want to get on your bike? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. So I'm I'm sick of the snow. I'm sick of the cold. I'm ready for spring. You know, even went out to Phoenix and weather was cold out there. So oh. very much looking forward to come on, come on spring. Right, right. So, I mean, given that it's still cold and wintry and, you know, maybe by the time you're listening to this or wherever you are listening to this, it isn't. But for us here, cold wintry means let's get technical. So instead of talking <laughs> uh, big ideas and, and sort of people stuff, we're going to talk about some technical stuff today. We're going to talk about specifically, we're going to kind of revisit something that we've we talked about generally before, we're going to talk specifically about a real-world architecture in the cloud using event-driven techniques to build a PDF rendering pipeline. This is a super common thing. It's just such a common request if you're building applications for enterprises. There are so many times when, especially if you're doing something that automates a business process that was done more manually before, it's just so common for people to say, hey, can we also get this form or this document or whatever is the outcome of the business process that you've got that you're creating a web like web application around they say can we get this as a pdf and can we put it in this bucket because that will solve our compliance issues or whatever it is that they have so yeah maybe chris you can jump in a little bit and talk about the existing application and and kind of the the requirements and and situation for building this architecture yeah so i mean part of this was we've built a, a forms based application for a for a business where they need to perform regular quality checks at the various locations that they they manage so they're a they're a services company thousands and thousands of locations across the US and in performing these services they they need to have audit quality and, and make sure that that the work is being done properly it's being done as scheduled and have evidence that 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 was done right so have have pictures taken and you know descriptions of of, of the work and whatnot so we've we've built this this application this web-based application that's responsive because it could be done using a laptop or, or a phone or a tablet it's it's form based the folks doing these quality inspections can fill out that form take pictures with their with their with the camera attach that to this particular quality check and then submit that 
right? And then goes into the system. And then of course the application allows folks to be able to view these submissions. Some managers can can view the submissions that have that have been happened and query across the various locations and query on results and, and whatnot and see that. So that was the the existing application that we had, very popular, very core to the business and what it was doing. And so then, you know, the next step was like, well, now we have this 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 now this is getting traction. It's very useful. We're using it. Um, they kind of had some new requirements for. Well, we want it to be easier to share the results of these these quality checks and and be able to you know easily you know forward it to to you know a different office or a different manager and not necessarily have them log into the system to do it and you know require. A, you know, username and password or teach them how to use the software or whatnot. And so the idea of saying like for these, these submissions that are in this application that are web-based, let's create a, a PDF version of it. And now that PDF is something that's atomic that can be shared, right? So you can email it to someone or you can go put it on a, you know, file, throw it into the Slack or wherever it may be. Right. But it, a really easy way to, to do this and it doesn't require anyone to log in or really know anything about it. Anyone can, can, you know, view a, view a PDF. Right. So, so right. that was the feature that, that we wanted to add to it. And they can print it out and do all kinds of good stuff with it. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So making PDFs is no problem, right? It's easy peasy. Yeah. So, um, you know, <laughs> Sure, you just uh, tell them install Adobe Acrobat or, or uh, <laughs> Microsoft Office, right? And just save as PDF, print as PDF. No, I mean I was, you know, we. So it's this is definitely one of the things. It's not a trivial, not a trivial thing to do, right? To say like we have these these submissions that are, you know, it's essentially it's it's data, and then it has templating around it right to do the presentation of it to format it and you can do it online using the application itself but so how do you actually make a a pdf of that right so that was that was the the crux of the problem so you know a few things that come into play there are like actually one like making a pdf is pretty time consuming and it's pretty cpu expensive right so i mean anyone that you know even if you just have a document and and you go to print it and save as PDF. Even that takes you know a little bit of time, I and mean, it's not it's not instantaneous, right? There's 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 processing time that's involved. It's it's not a it's not an instant thing that happens, right? Especially, I just want to add a little a little commentary to this because it just blows my mind that this is still a problem. Because in 2011, when I was running a company called Checkwise, we were also building checklists that people filled out and they kept temperature logs and Guess what? Same exact requirement. Let's let's build a PDF from these completed checklists so that we can store them in as paper because we were going away from a paper process. And that it was the same problem. It was still hard. It was, I don't think it got any easier in 10 years or okay, six years, like six or seven years. It's still the same. And it just bums me out because it's like these low level things, like these, oh, convert this data to that data that everybody uses and does all the time. Are, are the thing that kills me because because of just what you said. You know, I made a joke. Is it easy peasy? And you said, "Oh yeah, of course. All you have to do is right click and save as PDF." And so everybody, be everybody in the world, being used to that, especially 
people that pay for software to get built. That's what they're used to. And then when they hear, oh, we have to build a big architecture for this, they're like, what? No, you don't. Just right click and save as PDF. It's easy. And it just kills me that it's not. Okay, continue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's not because it's just, it's it's one of those things that is so application specific. Mm -hmm. And it, it really, it's a rendering problem, right? Which, and Which again, it should, be, it should just be like, you know, PDF has a really clear sort of like JSON-like structure and we're just going to switch from this JSON structure to that JSON structure. No, it's not that easy. Oh. No. <laughs> we, this, this is going to be one of the, we could talk forever on this. Like I, in a previous lifetime, I had to, again, build a PDF rendering pipeline and um, <laughs> yeah. I People had to really, like, under, I had to understand, like I actually had to, use the PDF language, right? So right. there's actually a PDF spec. And if you print out the documentation for the PDF spec, it's five, 600 pages long, right? Like it is actually a pretty comp, it's, it's really a pro almost a programming language. It takes um, 45 minutes to save as PDF. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does. Okay. So at any rate, we, we digress. But yeah, the important part here is that, you know, building a PDF, it's not a simple task. It's not only is it, is it time consuming, it's CPU expensive. It's also, it's complicated and so the code for doing this it's not just this you know three lines of code it's 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 going to be it's 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 significant right the so the important thing about it is that it's a, it could be a little brittle it can fail absolutely yeah then I mean, there's um you know whenever something gets complicated right the the number of uh, moving pieces as it goes up then the odds of failure increase as well. So, so all these are considerations, right? And figuring out like how we're going to do this. And again, keep in mind, we already have an existing application that's with a rather large code base that's working just fine. But, you know, so, so how do we go ahead and incorporate this? And so this is where, you know, our, our favorite friend, loose coupling comes into play, right? And, you know, one of the, the great ways of achieving that is, is by keeping this separate from everything else and using things like events, Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that was, that was definitely like the, the strategy here is like, okay, how can we make sure that we're building this in a way that takes into account that it's going to be CPU is expensive. It's going to be time consuming. So synchronous processing is not going to work, right? You can't, mm -hmm. we can't do something like whenever someone clicks on the submit button to, to complete one of these quality checks that they have to sit there and wait for a minute or two as some PDF is being created and like, and while it's doing that, it's maybe, you know, impacting other users of the system. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not an option. And then again, we've already talked about like the, you know, trying to add all this code for PDF rendering into the existing code base. Like that doesn't feel very good either. Right. So we need to decouple this. And so let's use events to do it. So this is a perfect example of using events to do that. And so, so that's what we did. So, you know, this so is usually when I think of using an event, my, my first thought is, is there some, you know, inside of AWS, is there some natural thing that just has an event already that I can take advantage of? Did you do something like that? Or did you have to write some code to make the event happen? You know, it, it depends on what, the, there are facilities in AWS where you can kind of get that for free where it's already wired in. Right, so an example would be like an S3 bucket when an object gets written to it, well, it can generate an event automatically. Exactly right. So it's right. like, yeah. So if we were, I don't know, if these submissions that we were creating were actually, you know, files that were getting dumped on S3, then like that would be an option, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's not the case. What was, you know, these were these submissions. It, it's all, it's all code. It's getting 
It's actually going to multiple backend stores, some NoSQL, some relational. So there wasn't a, a you know an, a for free way of of triggering an event okay. there in that. So, but the good news is is that it's not a lot of work to actually trigger that event. So we you know this ends up you know we're we're going to be using the the pub pub sub design pattern here, right? So. We're going to publish an event, and then we're going to have something that subscribes to that, listens to that, and then does something with that. So in AWS land, we can use SNS as the way of publishing these things, of of triggering these events. So it becomes pretty straightforward. In our primary application, we just have to make some, some code changes there to say, hey, as we get receive these submissions for these these quality checks we've you know done the validation that's required we create them in our databases and whatnot before we then return back success to the to the caller we can then make a call to sns to say just publish this event right so we're gonna we're gonna send a message to sns and basically the the gist of that message is hey the submission was just created and that's all the main application has to do, right? There's there's really literally nothing else it has to do as part of this. And its job is done. And, and the team that's working on the main application can continue on their way. They don't need to do anything else for adding this, this new feature. Hey there, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 30,000 listens. And I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. So the new feature can now be completely isolated from that, be very modular, decoupled, and we can build a separate application for doing that. And that separate application, all it needs to do now is it needs to listen to those those messages. So to facilitate that, we can take advantage of SNS fan out. So by publishing to S to an SNS topic uh, a message that hey this this submission was created, you can now anyone that's interested in that kind of event can subscribe to that topic. And there's multiple ways that you subscribe to that topic with different types of listeners, but anyone that's interested can can do so. So we we set it up such that we have an SQS a queue that subscribes to that particular SNS event such that whenever a message is published to that topic, it then ends up creating a message in SQS on that queue. And the idea there is that you want to, you want all those PDFs that need to get built. You want that work that's required to sit in a queue so that, so that if the thing that builds the PDFs is down or unavailable, or if it gets overloaded, that you won't lose any PDFs that are needing so if if you were just to go, you know, call some function that's like, all right, I'm building my PDF right now. I got the message, I'm building it, then you could run into some trouble. So having having a queue there that just kind of saves up all the work you're supposed to do makes it possible to to have a little bit of failure in your system, right? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely one of the things that it's that it's perfect for. I mean, we we, you know, another another listener that you could set up for this SNS topic would be a Lambda function, right? So you could say, oh, I'm, I'm have, I'll have a Lambda function that creates a PDF. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, you would have like this issue of, okay, what happens when when there's a failure, right? Or what happens if it takes longer than the, the standard Lambda timeout? Or what if I run out of memory with my Lambda function? Or all the other various things that can go wrong, right? That, that then ends up being 
lost forever unless you do additional application code in your Lambda to right. retries it. might end up being like, huh, I kind of, I kind of made a queue after all. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you, you would, you would actually have to do something like that, right? You, right. Yeah. You need retry some way of persistence, right? To, to yeah. do the retry. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's why, yeah. So a queue here makes, makes perfect sense. Cause that's what they, you know, you, you have an item of work, you, you need it to happen. You want to be able to handle failures and do retry. You want to have, you know, more than one worker or listener that, can do the work on this. So, so yeah. And also, so, also there's just a really important point about observability. You know, it's so easy to go check a queue and be like, oh my goodness, look at that thing. It's got a hundred thousand PDFs it's supposed to have, you know, built and it's not done it. Like this queue is full, what's wrong? Whereas if, if things are just going immediately, you don't have that observability. So, so that's another piece of this. Yeah, absolutely. Although if you get that, that deep in your queue, that's when you declare SQS bankruptcy. Yeah, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you do, you do. I use a hundred thousand because I wanted it to sound really, you know, like we're operating at a huge scale. Yes. Yes. So yeah, so we subscribe to the SNS topic with SQS with an SQS queue. And then the bulk of the code becomes this this worker process that its job is really just it's pulling that queue, looking for messages. And whenever it does a message is available, it pulls it off the queue. It does its processing. So it's it's now going to unpack that message, look at the payload understand like okay what submission is this it has its application logic for going now and fetching that submission from the data stores making the html version of it and then doing the conversion to pdf and then storing the results of that right and when it's done then it can it can now delete that that message from the queue yeah that was the part i was just about to ask you about is just like the you know I haven't worked with SQS, honestly, but I've worked with other queues in the past. And just that ability to kind of ward off other other listeners, like, hey, I'm working on this thing. Do not grab this one because I've got it. And then, okay, I'm done with it. Like, let's get it out of the queue. So those are fairly easy to work with features of SQS. Yeah, I mean, you 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 have those are decisions that you'll be faced with immediately once you wire up to it. So you'll you'll have some. There's a once a message is retrieved from the queue, it's now hidden from other folks that are pulling from that queue mm-hmm. for up to a certain amount of time, right? So this is the the oh, yeah, visibility time now, right? Because you right. you need to handle the case for what happens if that worker dies, right? Right, um, right. And so you can depend on it to tell you that it's done. You have to mm-hmm. kind of have a way of of just sort of undoing the fact that it got pulled off the queue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why you have to you have to really take that visibility timeout into account for like how long it takes to process this. So like if you mm-hmm. set your visibility timeout to sixty seconds, but it takes you two minutes to process it, <laughs> that's going to be a problem, right? Because yeah. it now means you're going to get everyone. It's just going to keep. It's just going to keep being rebuilt by your workers, right? So not a problem for Adobe. They they do want that <laughs> additional PDF in the world. Sure. <laughs> Or just heating up the universe, um, <laughs> right? And of course, AWS loves it too, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. Go go spin all the CPU cycles. 
But that yeah. makes sense. So the visibility timeout is, is basically the thing is invisible for a certain amount of time, and then it becomes visible again if you haven't deleted it before that yes. timeout. Yeah, so it's up to the code to say, yep, I'm done. I've, I've, I've finished this. Go ahead and delete it. Yeah. And, you know, some, some interesting things to point out with, with an architecture like this is like, one, again, by we could have gone straight from our application publishing to an SQS queue instead of SNS, but... By doing so, it limits the extensibility. By publishing to SNS, it now allows us to extend this even further. So we might have something where maybe now we have a requirement that whenever a submission is generated, quality check, if the if it's a failing quality check, it needs to create a ticket in a in some other other system enterprise application that's used for managing like urgent issues, right? So this makes it really easy. So now we're because it's an SNS topic um, and it's a message being published to that, we can add another listener to it, right? So now we could do something like maybe it is a Lambda function that mm -hmm. its job is to listen, be, add itself as a, as a subscriber to that topic, look at the submissions, see if it's failing or not. And if it is failing, then it can be the one that's responsible for doing the API call to the other, some other system for registering this as like an urgent issue that has to be fixed, right? And so mm -hmm. it makes it really easy to extend. It doesn't, none of the PDF code has to change. None of the main application code has to change. It's just using these events. And by using something like SNS and having SNS fan out, it allows whoever's interested in learning about that, they can do so. So that's that's one thing to point out here. Another one is that, you know, these, with the workers, that process, we can make that more extensible as well by accommodating all sorts of different background tasks. So, you know, this kind of architecture is really good for dealing with tasks that are, again, they're lengthy, complicated, they're, they need to be done asynchronously. But, you know, basically it's this, it's it's a it's a it's a, it's framework code, right? Where it's essentially it's a pool of workers that are listening to a queue, they're pulling messages off, they're understanding what they are, and then they're doing the work on them, and then marking them as being complete. So you could have another requirement here for building like complicated re data reports in CSV format, right? That maybe take, you know minutes to generate or something like that. So that could be another message type that gets emitted into this as well. And so you, we can extend our worker to kind of tag these messages for like what kind of operations should they be, right? Like is this generate a PDF or is this generate CSV report and kind of create this pluggable model in your worker code so that you're not redoing all the scaffolding for each different type of one of these asynchronous tasks you want to do. Instead, you can just have it be very, very modular and you just write a module that you can then plug into that worker. And so that's kind of a of an architecture pattern that we've adopted here. One of the things to we've kind of touched on a little bit is, you know, there for the longest time, SQS, in order to get to process SQS, you couldn't you couldn't wire SQS up directly to Lambda. Okay. Right? So so you always like if you wanted to process SQS messages, right? You had to go write code to do that, and you had to you know build build basically an application and figure out how to run it and deploy it and all that kind of stuff. Right, yeah. So a big new feature that Amazon launched last late last year was the ability for Lambda functions to 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 subscribe to SQS queues, which for certain things 
it's it's really great, right? It's like you don't you can get rid of all that scaffolding code, and instead just just the core logic, right? So like in certain situations, like that that model is going to work really well for a lot of people. For us, for doing like PDFs, it doesn't work so well, right? So like to to try to build a PDF inside of a Lambda function, it's so complicated. There's so much code there. There's so much that can go wrong, and it's so lengthy that it just doesn't make sense, right? That's so in this particular case, like having the scaffolding, the the actual dedicated worker for it, for us makes sense in this case. But just something to keep in mind as 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 folks think about this is that, you know, there's there's there are options there. And you just need to look at your your particular situation and what makes most sense for you. Right on. Yeah, that makes sense. I know I, we have to wrap up, but I know there's probably a couple of listeners that are wondering, wait, you said you were going to make some PDFs. So they're probably wondering, what did you actually use to make those PDFs? Where did you put them and what happens when they're made? Right. Yeah. So so those workers, when they pull off these messages and say, hey, I need to generate a PDF, you know, one of the first things that they have to do is they have to go get that submission, that data. And and it's it needs to be in basically HTML format, right? So because that's the first... The, one of the easiest ways to make a PDF is to go from HTML to PDF. Right. Um, and the first iteration that we did this uh, did this with was we used a tool called PhantomJS. And that worked reasonably well, but some performance issues with it, some other pretty, pretty heavy, pretty resource intensive. And so recently we've, in the past year, we switched over to Headless Chrome basically with using Puppeteer as the the front end for driving headless Chrome. So much more efficient. We can make PDFs much quicker now. These worker nodes are running inside Docker containers on top of ECS and, and AWS. And in order for headless Chrome to work correctly with that, we needed some we had some issues there. So specifically, Headless Chrome, it needs scratch space to build these PDF files, and it wants to use shared memory. And ECS did not allow for setting the size of that and, and bumping it past the, the default value. So it turned out we originally did want to use Headless Chrome. We couldn't because of that. But then with some lobbying and some other folks out there having the same kind of issues, Amazon updated ECS so that you could set that. And so once that setting became available to increase the size of shared memory, then we were off to the races. So headless Chrome. Cool. Uh, yeah. So now we can build those PDFs efficiently and quickly. And then when we're done, of course, we throw them into an S3 bucket. And now they're they're available for for downloading or or for streaming back. Well, very cool. I think that you know this was this was pretty cool because it was a little bit of a reprise of our previous event-driven architecture episode, but it, it just felt so much more real diving through, diving into the the specifics of this particular problem that we solved with event-driven architecture. So thank you for, for laying that out for us, Chris. Yeah, it's been fun. All right, talk to you next week. All right, thanks. See ya. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash five two. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.